Our reading this evening is taken from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul called to the apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of this, or because of his grace uh, given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That all of you agree with one another, so that there be no divisions among you, so that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Gary said to me that uh, he hadn't brought his um, glasses, reading glasses with him, so he wrote out that reading uh, beforehand so that he could read it up here. I have an apology to you, Gary. I should have checked the original thing because it was 1 Corinthians 12, not 1 Corinthians 1. But that's not your fault. That's my fault. But, you know, one of those uh, moments uh, sometimes of how God can work, as we were singing, I was thinking about... Uh, the gospel and the heart of our faith and that little chorus that I sang as a child and others, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that reading which Gary just gave to us reminds us that Jesus loves us and it speaks about that grace that comes in Christ Jesus and how we're enriched in every way. It even mentions the fact that we don't lack any spiritual gift, which is amazing as we wait for Jesus Christ to be revealed and that we will be blameless on the day of Jesus Christ and God's called us into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ and I appeal to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of there, isn't it? Lord Jesus Christ at every moment uh, through that. So thank you, Gary, for reading that and reminding us that Jesus Christ is the centre of all that we do and the heart of our faith. So if you'd now like to turn to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you, and sisters, of course, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. 
There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit, to another the faith, by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Now we're going to be thinking specifically a little bit later about the gift of faith. But I just wanted to note a few things in these few verses from uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Notice first of all uh, that um, in those first three verses, as Paul is saying to uh, the Christians uh, in Corinth, that he doesn't want to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, that he makes it very clear to them that these gifts are rooted in the work of the Holy Spirit and rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And the example that he goes as he goes through to that is to say that no one speaking by the Spirit of God can say that Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you're kind of looking for a test of these fruits of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, do they lead us to say, Hallelujah, Jesus Christ is Lord, or do they lead us up some other pathway? And I've seen uh, people who are evidencing uh, gifts of the Spirit. Uh, in Uganda, where I am, there's a, there's a prophet at the moment who uh, claims that he um, has been to heaven and that he's met with God. And heaven is such a wonderful place, uh, plated with gold, that God means us to live the same way on earth. And so he should, as God's prophet, live in a gold-plated house. And he has, I've seen a picture of it, this massive, massive white leather sofa that he sits on at the front of his congregation, and people actually come up and wash his feet. I kind of find myself thinking, this may be a gifted man, he may have all kinds of gifts, but does it lead us to say Jesus is Lord? So if we're thinking about spiritual gifts, they lead us to Jesus, Jesus who exemplified that life filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, verses 4 and 5, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are different kinds of service, and the same Lord, but there are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And I want us to see that these gifts of the Spirit, as we're thinking about them, and to remind ourselves, are associated with the idea of service. They're not about gaining things for us, about self-aggrandizement. I used to think... I used to long to speak in tongues. Why did I want to speak in tongues? Because then I would have known that I was truly spiritual. I would have had a great experience and everybody would think, wow, Chris speaks in tongues. Even better if you get to interpret them, you know, because then people really know you've kind of got it. Not surprisingly, God never gave me that gift, certainly not at that time. Because... The gifts of God are never about self-aggrandizement. They're never about our, even our well-being. You know, you would think that if God blessed us with spiritual gifts, wow, everything would be great, we'd be so happy. And yet, 
sometimes the people with the greatest spiritual gifts can often feel terrible about themselves. One of the greatest uh, theologians, he's not read very often, but was Samuel Taylor Coleridge, you'll know the rhyme of the ancient mariner, some of you, and his thing. He wrote some amazing theology. But he suffered, as did another person, with a deep addiction to morphine and depression and, and wanted to take his life at times. And yet he wrote so much about the grace of God, the gift of being able to communicate. Or J.B. Phillips, who wrote a translation of the Bible, who was a blessing to so many, he had a real gift of teaching, a spiritual gift of wisdom and insight, and helped countless thousands of people. But he suffered from a deep, deep depression, and it never left him. No matter how much he prayed to God for this depression to go, it remained with him throughout his life. And I remember reading his book where he said that uh, in the end, as God didn't take it away from me, I realized that what I had to do was offer it to God and say, Lord, I may not stop being depressed, but let me be depressed for you. So spiritual gifts are associated with service and offering, and they may not have any impact on us. And it might be that we have, uh, people have given great gifts, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily happy or the great. Notice too how the same spirit works in each person in different ways. And those different kinds of working that God works are worked out separately. We won't all have the same gifts, but it doesn't matter. Because they all come from God. And that is the point, that God is our place of security and identity. It's not in the worship, it's not in the things that we can do, it's not about being up front, it's not about how good we are at academics or how great our knowledge of the Bible or how, how people see us. It is simply that our identity and our place and our security is found in the Lord Jesus Christ who has loved us. It comes back to those words again. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, that heart of faith. And then notice that these gifts are not given for our benefits, just continuing on of that, but for the common good. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the manifestation or for the common good. That's kind of disappointing because I kind of want to feel good. I want to have all the blessings and everything else. But actually, God doesn't give me these to make me feel blessed, but in order that I may bless others. And if we want anything for our own benefit, our own reputation, our own glory, then we need to think again. And of course, these lists are not exhaustive. There are other lists. There are all kinds of gifts and fruits. So if the things that we're talking about tonight are not for us, we don't need to despair. Because God gifts all of us with the things that we need. So, tonight I want to just to think about the gift of faith. And the first thing that kind of uh, strikes me with that is... Why is Paul talking here about the gift of faith? Surely we all have faith. We can't be Christians and followers of Jesus without having faith. We sang that first song, I believe. We believe in the Father, we believe in the Spirit. Isn't that faith? We all have the gift of faith if we believe. And yet Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about saying, 
To each one the manifestation of the Spirit. To one there is given through the, the Spirit the, the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. Now clearly because he's saying to one, to another, to another, he's not anticipating that everybody is going to have the same gifts or these gifts. So there must be a gift of faith that not everybody necessarily has. But that's a bit difficult. Because how can I be Christian without having that gift of faith? And faith is always by grace, which is about that carries that gift of God. So, what's going on here? I think what Paul is referring to here is something different from that saving faith which is universal, the saving faith, that gift of faith that starts with the words that Jesus is Lord. When God reveals to us that Jesus is Lord, when he reveals to us that what Christ did on the cross is for all of us, then that's the start of that faith. And if you follow the Lutheran way and the Lutheran teaching belief, even coming to that point was nothing to do with us. It was a gift of God. Luther believed that we were only able to say that Jesus is Lord because God enabled us to say that. That we had nothing in us that contributed to it. So what is this gift of faith? And how do we understand it? Well, we noticed as we were looking at that the gifts were given for the common good and for the building up of the church. And if we were to look back in Exodus 31 verse 3, we'd see a little story about how God gives a man called Bezalel special gifting through the Spirit of God for skill, ability and knowledge in crafts and designs. And particularly in gold and silver and bronze and wood and I don't know if you've ever come across artists sometimes who can just create things. And, and, and it's almost as if they've seen something in the wood or they've seen something in the, in the metal. And by the sheer love and creative input, it emerges from it. And it's not like just making something. It's something of their spirit and their life that comes out of it. And God gave Bezalel this special gift in order that he could oversee and guide the building and the decorating of the temple to make a place fit for the Spirit of God to live in. So it was a, a special gifting that was given for a particular purpose in order to create a space and a place where people could come and worship God for the common good. And only with that gifting could he perform the duties that God had for him. And I think there's something there about God equipping us for the places where we are and for the tasks that we're called to and the things that we need to do. And if we look at the Bible, we can see that there are certain people who are spoken of as people with particular gifts of faith. Hebrews 11, you can go and read that uh, at some point, but it, it tells a story of faith and it talks about people through his, the history of the people of Israel who had faith and were known by their faith. And there's Noah is one of them. And I kind of thought about Noah as I was doing that and the story, how you do it. But imagine yourself in this situation that you have been told by God that he's going to judge the world. And this judgment is going to take the place of a massive flood. 
And so even though all around you there's dry lands and fields and the cities and all that kind of stuff, there is no sign of the sea. There is no sign of an ocean or a deluge. And in the lifetime of everybody, nobody can remember it ever happening before. But for the next year or so, you start building a boat. And everybody comes around and laughs at you and tells you, what are you doing building this stupid boat? What a place. How are you going to get it? You know, there's no way you get that to the ocean. And yet Noah had faith to carry on building, although there probably wasn't most of the time a cloud in the sky. And it must have been a special gift of faith from God for that time to keep him going. Because that is an enormous task over an enormous period of time in the face of great mockery and opposition. And yet he did not give up. And I think that's perhaps beginning to come towards that gift of faith. If you like, is a spiritual gift of faith. A faith which in special moments of stress enables us to keep going. Or to carry a vision, it might be a kind of vision holder. So that Noah was a vision holder, holding it before his family and others. And he didn't want to give up. Or in that list too we see Abraham. And again Abraham, who was called by God to take his son Isaac up to the top of a mountain. And he was told by God that when he got up there he was going to have a knife and he was going to have to, to kill his son. Now, that is insane. What father could ever sacrifice their son? What loving father? And we're not told that this was a bad father, an evil father, but Abraham loved his son. And yet, even though everything seemed illogical, he walked with Isaac to that mountaintop. And he laid him on the altar and said, I will obey you, God, whatever it costs. And in that moment, God provided a sheep for the sacrifice. And what Abraham learnt was that in those moments in faith, sometimes we walk and we do not know what we're going to do, but God will provide and that God would lead. But I think that takes a special kind of gift of faith to walk in a way like that. Or Isaac and Japheth, who had to trust God to lead them to a place that might be very difficult, where they didn't know where they were going to go, where they would have to rely upon him. And in that moment, before they were, as they were in foreign lands, or Joseph uh, going off into Egypt, then that special gift of faith enabled them and sustained them through the struggles that were ahead. And enabled them, in the end, for all these people to become a source of inspiration and encouragement to the people of God. And so today we still read their stories and share their stories to encourage ourselves, to inspire us to go on. And I think we can probably all think of people who've been given special gifts of faith. I had a moment, and you can think about it later and maybe share some with each other. But uh, when I was growing up, I remember reading and hearing the story of Gladys Aylwood. Anybody else remember that story? Thank you, Belinda. Oh, look at that. I don't need to tell you. You can tell each other, but I will tell you a little bit about it. Gladys Aylwood was a domestic worker. Uh, and uh, I was hearing on the um, uh, news uh, today that uh, women 
on, on the radio today. It was talking about Charles Darwin believed that women were um, kind of by evolution unfitted to do study and stuff. They needed to conserve their strength in order to have babies. And he was one of the leading thinkers around you know, the time before the war and so on. And uh, you know, Gladys Hale grew up in this environment where not only was she not educated, but she was also a woman and she couldn't be expected to, to, to really do things. But she felt called by God to go and work in China. And this young woman, who was a domestic servant, went and persuaded the Chinese in her mission to let her enroll. But she studied for uh, uh, time to try and learn Chinese. And after three months, they said, you're not suited for it, you can't go. So this young woman somehow managed to get together sufficient life savings to spend every single penny of them on buying a ticket. And on her own, she got on a boat and she left England and she got herself into trouble in various places and got rescued. I was just kind of looking at it and so on. Ended up in China, met somebody in the Inn of the Seventh Happiness, I think it was, and they began a work there and she worked. Uh, and in the end, she led a hundred children over the hills away from danger. She became somebody who worked with the, the most vulnerable and put herself often in danger to help them. And many of the children that she led out of uh, violence and so on came to know Christ later on. And then she came back and she couldn't go back to China because when communist China opened, so she ended up in uh, Thailand in the end, running an orphanage and caring for children there. Now I just think for a moment of that young woman and what a gift of faith she had in believing that God had given her this task and that she was going to do it, regardless of the fact that the most powerful Christian bodies around who were concerned about China and her country were saying, no, you can't go. That's an amazing gift of faith. And that's kind of different from that saving gift of faith. It's a, it's a faith where, that actually is needed for a special task and a special place. I was going to think about George Muller, but people are familiar with that story. You can think about those. But more recently, I was thinking and reflecting, as I'm sure many of us have, because when I was in Uganda, uh, we heard the news that um, uh, Martin had died and his funeral took place, and I couldn't be there. And, uh, you know, I thought about Martin in that last year as he increasingly lost the use of his... Um, uh, in the end, his voice and his body and all those kind of things. And, and the things that are going through with Myra, you know, Myra's illness and so on. And I thought about Psalm 43 and Psalm 42. My God, why are you so downcast within me? Everything in humanly cries out in a situation like that. How is it fair? How is it possibly right? How could it be that God could be in this situation where seemingly humanly everything is going wrong? It just seems so unfair that Martin, such a good man, should have to go through that. And yet those who know him, and I heard uh, reports of the service, he had that faith. That gift of faith that despite what was going on in his human life, sustained and held him and carried him. And even when he couldn't speak, he was still a vision holder. He was still a testimony to that faithful God who whatever is going on in our lives, we endure, we persevere. A special gift of faith.
last, or the week before last, I was in Uganda with a group of people uh, on photographers, and we were given uh, permission from the Prime Minister's office through the diocese to go north of Gulu, where we were, and to visit a refugee resettlement camp. Uh, although they just call it a settlement now. And uh, on one level, it was nothing like what I was expecting. You kind of think <coughs> of uh, refugee camps as being places of total chaos, where people are crowded together in tiny things and they're struggling and they're they have, you know, children starving and all those kind of things. But Padjarinia is not like that. It's a, a, a vast place. It's open. People have land and space. It's quite clean. There are little settlements and huts and everybody has space and so on. And it looked a very ordered place. Uh, the, the children and, the, and the, the women, by and large, didn't look too unhealthy. There were signs of scabies and things and so on. But they, they looked okay. But then you started to unpick uh, what was going on and we sat with a pastor and he described and said we are struggling because everybody in this place is traumatised and we as pastors have to minister to them and try to help them find comfort and healing and to rebuild their lives and to help them to find hope but we are traumatised too. We've been through the same things and who ministers to us? Who is helping us to deal with the things that we have been through? And we met this lady, Florence, and uh, she was a, a pastor, and in the midst of this place, when she smiled, she was so beautiful, so radiant, so full of faith and hope that God had brought her to this place. And Around us, we saw all the people who were saying, this is a place of hopelessness and despair. And we saw that when we sat and talked to people. I went to visit a young girl called Mary, and uh, her photograph is absolutely devastating when you see the expression on her face. She was too traumatised to speak, so her mother uh, came in and she said, I want to tell you the story. We were in uh, our home, uh, and I was brewing up our local uh, drink of fermented millet, uh, and then some soldiers who'd come from Juba and were there came to the camp and they were a bit drunk and they wanted more alcohol. And my neighbours were around and they started saying, don't give us, don't give them any more, don't give them any more. And uh, one of them got so cross and angry, he just started shooting everybody. And uh, he was, wanted to shoot everybody in the entire settlement and village. Uh, and people died. And eventually one of the other soldiers stopped him and, and dragged him away. And she said, I took my children and my husband and we just walked into the bush. We left everything and we hid there for two days. We never went home and then we walked away. And uh, as we spoke, this woman, as she shared with us, she, she said that her husband was outside. He was hiding under what remained of a bush in this camp because he was so traumatized by what had happened that he was constantly having delusions and fear that people were coming to kill him. And so she was trying to bring up her five children by herself while her husband hid in the bushes, too traumatised. And gradually became aware as we heard story after story that there were in this camp 30 or 40,000 people who all shared that same story of suffering and hopelessness. And that this was only one camp amongst another 10, and many of which were bigger, and 1.6 million people. 
are living through this kind of stuff. And then I thought of Florence's face. In the midst of the despair, she radiated faith and love and hope. And outside this little church where they met to do that, on a tree was a painted sign which said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that amazing? Now, I do not know what would happen if everything that I had was stripped away. I don't know what I would feel if I was in the place that Martin was. I don't know that I could ever be Gladys Aylward. But what a gift of faith and inspiration and encouragement. I'll never forget that Lady Florence. And it will encourage me and inspire me. I'll never forget Martin and his faith. And it will inspire me when I have to face my own challenges. And that gift of faith builds up the church of God. And it carries us to places. And I'm really conscious of talking to Bryony there. I keep seeing her face and smiling. And, and Bryony's going to go out to Malawi. And what a, a gift of faith she needs to go and to do that. To leave the place of safety, to be in a really difficult situation and to keep on going and to keep on going back. That is incredible. And that doesn't just come from our human stuff. It comes from that calling of God and that feeling of faith and belief. And we need to pray for that gift. Not, we might not want to pray it for ourselves because I actually think it's quite a, a, a difficult <laughs> gift. But, you know, we need to be praying for Job. You know, over the last years, as we're going through this building project, he needs that gift of faith. When we're looking at this thing and thinking we can't get the money, we can't get the grants, and they keep finding things that are wrong, and there's more things. And is this thing ever going to finish? And what will it be like? And will it actually do that? To hold that vision. To carry on believing that God has brought us to this place and God is faithful. And then to share it with us when we all get kind of inspired, depressed and down. We need people who have the ability to not just hold a faith that is about me, but a faith that is for the whole of the church and the wider world. And you know, I kind of think we need this gift, and, and our children are going to need a gift, the gift of faith. Because having been in, in Uganda and, and travelled, now when you go to um, even the most remote place it is literally covered and infested with plastic and rubbish and in many ways because we're so cocooned here we don't see it in this country that the challenges to our environment and to our life and to our children's future are enormous and what is happening to those 1.6 million people is actually rooted in some of those fightings for scarce resources, where when there is not enough, because things have run short, the powerful people try to kill and oppress other people and all laws go out of it. And it's not far in a world where climate is changing, where crops are failing, where mass migration is starting to happen, it's not that far-fetched to think that there could be challenges facing our children where actually they're going to be saying from the depths of their heart, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And they're going to need that gift of faith. Because I was really struck as we were doing that. Because I've, you know, I've, Anita will tell you, I, go, I get really depressed about what I see in the world and what, what's coming. And, and I do think it's something that often we don't really take seriously. Because we're still quite comfortable here. And we don't recognise what's going on and what the challenges are. But actually we need people like Ruth Valeria to have that gift of faith that despite everything, God is still in control and it's his creation. And he's longing for his people to be released and to, 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 to hold on and not give up. That even though increasingly the world is looking and they begin to wake up to it and saying actually there is a real problem here and we don't know what to do, that actually we don't give up. We can trust God even in this. And that he will give us the strength to be the people that he calls us to and to hold that vision. I see Joe looking at his watch there. So I'm thinking I might be going on. And he did say I shouldn't speak for too long. Uh, and that is one of my bugbears, so we'll leave that there. But one of the things that uh, is there, that in uh, the Gospel, Jesus uh, talks to his uh, disciples twice. He says so in uh, Matthew um, 17, he tells them that if they had faith... Uh, as small as a, a grain of mustard seed, they'd be able to say to the mountain, get up and move. Uh, the context of that is that they just failed miserably to be able to cast out a demon. And he was cross with them. He said, oh, goodness me, if only you had faith, you'd be able to say to even a tiny bit, you'd be able to say, move that mountain. What is wrong with this generation? Why don't they have faith? But in the other one, in Luke 17, this time it's just a mulberry tree. I'm, I think I kind of, my faith is a bit better with a mulberry tree than a mountain. Um, and maybe Jesus understood that because that time, that uh, thing about if you had faith, say, as a growth of the mulberry tree, it's because the disciples asked him. They saw, Lord, how do we get this faith? Can you help us to have faith? And I think maybe Jesus there was teaching them and saying, actually, you only need a tiny bit. You don't need a huge amount, but you just need to have that little bit and the reason why it works is because it's not faith in me or in the size of our faith and we all know this it's faith in God and I think sometimes God gives us a special gift in special places and special needs and to special people or particular people to carry that so to inspire us through those really difficult times and places and we can thank God for that but we can also pray for it that God will raise up people with those special gifts of faith to hold that vision, to lead us forward and to inspire and encourage us. And maybe even some of us here may be those who can hold those visions and be receptors, if you like, of that gift of grace, of faith from the Holy Spirit. But it may also be that uh, uh, tonight, as we come to pray in a moment, uh, as well as praying for people... Uh, that they might have that a gift of, of faith. It may be that some of us have been a bit tempted to despair or wonder about our own faith and whether it's good enough or whatever, that we want to just pray for the renewing of our own everyday, our saving faith, of just remembering what God has done and recommitting ourselves to him. So we're going to spend some time now praying uh, for those, for some of the areas of the world um, uh, well, I've talked about the um, people in the 